Two weeks ago, I talked with leaders from the United Way of Central Ohio and the Human Service Chamber of Franklin County about the state of Central Ohio's nonprofit organizations during the pandemic. If you listen to that episode, you'll know that the situation's pretty dire. So many services and supports in our state defunded or disappeared at the state level, traded in for tax cuts, have fallen to Ohio's nonprofits to pick up the slack. These organizations have of course stepped up to the best of their ability, but it's a precarious situation. On today's episode, I talk with Joe Apgar, who's Chief Operating Officer of an Ohio nonprofit that I'm guessing all of our listeners know, Pelotonia. I wanted to find out how Pelotonia is retooling its programming in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, but also keeping their focus on their one goal of finding treatments and cures for cancer. This is Prognosis Ohio, a WCB-affiliated health and healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. Hey, folks, and welcome back. Um, I'm really glad to be doing this episode today. Not only is Pelotonia an important organization doing important work, but they are, as you'll hear, a pretty nimble and progressive organization that approaches cancer research in a thoughtful and intentional way. We've discussed cancer from several different angles on past shows, including the racial and ethnic disparities in cancer treatment and research, and the persistence of disparity in accessing healthcare services required for cancer screenings, whether those are because of fear during the pandemic or because of attacks on critical providers in Ohio, such as Planned Parenthood. I've also talked on the show about my own experience with cancer, which comes up again in today's episode, as my guest and I both had bouts with testicular cancer that shapes what we do today. Of course, a few years back, Joe Biden, now the Democratic presidential nominee, announced a so-called moonshot equivalent for cancer research. But while we are making progress in developing treatments for many cancers, it's also true that we have a long way to go and that the progress has been uneven. In my view, the work that Pelotonia does is just as important for the attention it calls to the challenges ahead with cancer research as it is for the money it raises to fund that research. We'll hear more about that in a minute. I also want to mention that today's episode is special for another reason. We're dedicating it to Shin Lasaka, a resident of Grandview where I live, and a longtime Pelotonia rider. Shin was doing one of the things he loved most, riding his bike, when he was struck and killed by a drunk driver on June 2nd in Fairfield County. I didn't have the honor of ever having met Shin, but from the stories I've heard about him over the past few weeks from my neighbors, I feel like I do. So we send our best to Shin's family and dedicate this episode to him. Pelotonia is going to be different this year for many reasons, but one of them, in whatever form the event actually takes, will be because Shin won't be there as part of the Grandview Heights Pelotonia team. We'll be sure to include some links in our show notes so you can read more about Shin and his legacy. As always, before turning to my conversation with Joe Apgar, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to Prognosis Ohio wherever you get your podcasts, and consider following us on Twitter and Instagram, friending us on Facebook, etc., etc., if you have ideas for show themes or interviews, please don't hesitate to email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Also, look this week for the launching of our new website at prognosisohio.com, where we're going to be housing an archive of our episodes and show notes, links to social media, show production information, and a blog that's going to be covering a range of issues, things that our guests have written, as well as things that I've written myself. Again, that's going to be at prognosisohio.com and should be available sometime this week. Joe Apgar is Chief Operating Officer for Pelotonia. Joe is responsible for developing and overseeing all strategic efforts to increase awareness of, participation in, and support for the Pelotonia movement, as well as ensuring the strategic and responsible management of Pelotonia funds. 
Joe oversees the ride, but also Poll, which has three L's, by the way, which is a fundraising app that allows users to generate funds for cancer research through exercise activities. Okay, now to my conversation with Joe Apgar. Joe, thanks so much for having me at the beautiful uh, Pelotonia office, uh, social distanced. Uh, this is my first live interview with somebody. It's nice to see an actual human being, even though we have to be, uh, you know, six to eight feet apart. So thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, it's good that our, our office is getting a little use uh, during the pandemic. Uh, we haven't, haven't had a chance to be down here too much. So it was a nice break for me, too. Yeah, great. Well, so I'd like to start by, as I, as I mentioned to you when we talked a few weeks ago, kind of personalizing the moment a little bit. So uh, Shin Lasaka uh, was killed um, by a car um, while riding his bicycle on June 2nd. Uh, Shin was, you know, I'm, I'm a Grandview resident, um, so a lot of people in Grandview have strong feelings, knew him well. He was a, I didn't have the pleasure of getting to know him. Um, and he was killed doing what he loved, perhaps most. I mean, he loved his family, but he loved cycling a lot. Can you just tell me a little bit about what Shin meant to Pelotonia and how that's been um, just another thing during this pandemic to uh, to grieve? Yeah, well, I mean, it was, it was tragic and a, sort of just a terrible thing that happened. Uh, you mentioned he was a Grandview resident and the Grandview community's, you know, really tight-knit and close and... Um, I've had a chance to meet Shin once. I know a lot of my colleagues uh, got to know him over the years, and sort of the first thing they have said about him was his smile. And it was the same thing that uh, a lot of uh, people I know in Grandview said about him too. Was you just he could light up a room and was a fantastic human being. And so, you know, it's it was one of those things. that's terribly sad, um, you know, for his family, uh, for his colleagues, his friends. Um, you know, it's something that. You know, we we hope never happens. We, you know, in reality, it does happen from time to time. You know, my hope really is is you know how can we put a focus on not only cycling safety but really driver safety. Yeah. Um, I think is a it's an issue. Uh, this is not the first time this has happened over the last couple of years. It unfortunately probably won't be the last. And you know, as you know, distracted driving is a really big issue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for um, addressing that a little bit. And we are dedicating this episode to Shin Lasaka and we'll um, be sharing some information on in our show notes about him and, and about uh, what people might want to know to memorialize him. It's amazing. So let's jump into Pelotonia. Pelotonia is an institution here in Ohio. When I moved here from New York um, 10 years ago, I've, one of the first things I thought was, what, what are those signs everywhere, these green signs? And they are everywhere because there's a lot of love and a lot of support for what you all do here. Um, but this year, like everything else, you're making a lot of adjustments in light of COVID-19. Um, you know, a, a bike ride in some way, or I guess you call it an experience, uh, is is the epitome of a physical activity. And it also, you know, something like Pelotonia is about being together in so many ways. So I wonder if you can just tell me a little bit about, you know, Pelotonia in 2020, the move to a virtual experience um, that you've called a redefined experience. What kind of conversations did you have as you sat down and thought, wow, we're really going to have to rethink this this year? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, obviously it's hard for us to not have the physical event this year. And, you know, for context, you know, we have upwards of 15,000 people annually at our opening ceremony, which is typically Friday night. And then the weekend is, you know, 8,000 riders, 3,000 volunteers, many more thousand people spectating. And, 
Um, you know, when, when COVID really started to take wind and, you know, about mid-March, uh, when a lot of people started working from home and, and we did the same, we started working from home, uh, March 10th, I think. And, you know, we really weren't sure yet what to make of it. I think we announced that we were closing our office for two weeks, yeah. uh, like a lot of people did. And two weeks quickly turned into two months, which is, you know, now we're on month four or five, um, of this. So, you know, we really started evaluating what are the options of, of having a physical event period? Mm. We knew we couldn't have a ride in the traditional sense uh, with 15,000 people showing up in the arena district, you know, shoulder to shoulder. We knew that wasn't going to happen and yeah. it wouldn't be the right thing to do. We know how important the physical event is for people and we know how important the community is for people. So we came up with probably 10 different options of how we could host a physical bike ride. Could we do it over a week's time where you sign up for a time slot on the hour and we would get all these streets closed down? Yeah. You know, could we do a smaller route uh, to sort of limit the amount of people on the road at any given time? We looked at everything. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, I guess I should say during that time, we were also going down a parallel path of let's figure out what we would do if we can't have anything yeah and what's that look like and our decision internally we committed to we committed to making a decision by a certain date uh by the end of april and we wanted to communicate that in may we didn't want to be too early on the communication but you know as a nonprofit, we're resource constrained both yeah. from a you know a money standpoint but also from a a you know, a people standpoint. And we couldn't keep going down a path of trying to figure out how to do a physical ride and pull something off virtually. We right. had to go all in on one of the experiences. Yeah, li limited capacity, right? Yeah, limited capacity. And and in a lot of ways, we were lucky because we, ha we have 17 full-time staff members, which for an organization that's, you know, doing an event like this, um, it, it's probably, you know, the average organization like ours might have 10 to 12 yeah. people. And you know, we've always had more people because we, we think having more people in the community focused on marketing, focusing on our brand was important. And so we said, we have this resource that a lot of people don't have. Let's do something that a lot of people can't do. And we ended up developing with a partner, uh, a technology partner out of uh, Boston and Chicago, who's been working on a technology project for us since last year, um, this My Pelotonia platform, mm -hmm. which you know really puts the experience of Pelotonia into your own hands to personalize it, uh, while still giving you a platform to fundraise and share your story and share why Pelotonia is important, but more so why cancer research is important to you. I think that's the one thing we learned through conversations over the years is people love the bike ride, but it's not actually about the bike ride uh you know it's about this coming together as a community to raise a really significant amount of money for a cause that impacts every single one of us and it impacts everyone in a really different way whether survivor yourself or family member or friend has had it or you've lost someone you know how can we let you personalize that experience and sort of link it to a personal challenge yeah i was pretty impressed by the um flexibility of the uh, the my pelotonia app 
I'm I was so glad to see you didn't just do what so many did, which is just like have a Zoom meeting. You know, it's so much more than that, and it's so much more interactive and and, and personalizable as well. Yeah, and we're we're actually working on a uh, we're going to have a live broadcast uh, that will air 7 p.m. Uh, August 7th, Friday night. Really replaces our opening ceremony. Yeah, uh, we have confirm some some pretty special guests uh cheryl crow will be playing a song and uh, sharing her story awesome dr sanjay gupta will be joining us uh we recently uh learned that robert smith of uh osu football uh fame and oh for a minute i thought you meant the guy from the cure i was getting excited <laughs> no the, the not yeah. that i'm not an osu football yeah, i know so, people like that too uh, he's gonna be our host for the night and awesome. we've got a couple other special things up our sleeves so we're, we're working really hard on that and i think that will end up being one of the things people remember about this year yeah certainly creativity is one of the things i hope to come out of this we're all scrambling to try to find new ways to do things that we were doing before in certain Definitely. ways and hopefully that can be a silver lining which is that we become a little bit more nimble yeah So let's talk about Pelotonia itself. I mean, I kind of took for granted launching into this that everybody knows what Pelotonia is um, because it's so ubiquitous around the state. But, you know, it's a serious nonprofit operation that's doing something really important, which is raising money for uh, cancer research. So I want to talk a little bit about that. I guess the first thing is, you know, just last episode that we did was with uh, folks from United Way and the Human Service Chamber about the kind of state of nonprofits in Ohio and during COVID. And it's it's been hard, right? It got, the, the sector got hit yeah, really definitely. hard. And the people who depend on the sector, you know, um, are going to suffer as a result. But so here we have, you know, you know, COVID is, is shaping so much, but you're still focused on your one goal of, um, you know, uh, developing a, a more robust uh, research base for cancer, for curing cancer, essentially. How, how do you think a little bit about, um, I guess, behind the scenes, the organization, about your priorities within, case cancer's huge. And when you hear cancer research, I'm putting air quotes there for the uh, listeners, you know, the question is, well, what's actually going on? I know that you, you know, um, you work with the Ohio State Comprehensive Cancer Center, uh, the Pelotonia Institute for Immuno-Oncology. Um, so how do you develop priorities and focus and figure out where you can make the most impact actually in moving that needle? Yeah, so I'll answer that question in, a, I guess, maybe a couple of different parts. One is in, you know, cancer research in the world of COVID uh, and the coronavirus. You know, what a lot of people uh, don't realize is that, you know, these research institutions are these massive research enterprises. So these academic hospitals, research hospitals all over the country uh, and the world, you know, microbiology, basic science, uh, you know, immune system science, that translates from cancer into all different other types of medicine. And I think what they've realized is the cancer research enterprise globally has had so much attention for a long time. And it's been, and it's been funded for a long time through philanthropy, through government funding. And it's, it's big and it's efficient and it's really good. And so they've been able to leverage resources from you know, these cancer research enterprises to help support COVID work. We, uh, we've funded some student fellowships over the years and had a chance to talk to some of them uh, in May. And some of them were actually working on 
COVID research. Yeah. Their, their cancer research was so translational to COVID research that they you know, started incorporating that into their research. And so from a priority standpoint, you know, COVID's a priority for everybody, um, as it should be. I think the one thing that shouldn't get lost and, and, and I hope doesn't get lost is that cancer hasn't hit pause during COVID. Right. Uh, and in a lot of ways, it's gotten a lot harder. If you're diagnosed, if you've been diagnosed with cancer in the last couple months, you may have had to go for your treatments by yourself alone. You couldn't have visitors in the hospital. You might have had to have a surgery and stay in the hospital for weeks without a visitor uh, because of the lockdowns on, on visitation, um, you know, different protocols around clinical trials and treatments. It's, it's become really difficult. So in a lot of ways, you know, we are very focused on, you know, keeping cancer our priority. We know we're a fundraising organization. We're a peer-to-peer fundraising organization, which means we raise most of our money through, you know, our community members asking their networks. Mm -hmm. One thing that's not lost on us and, and we fully acknowledge is how hard it is to ask for money right now. People have lost their jobs, which has you know creates all sorts of issues people are uncomfortable asking you know colleagues or friends to raise money for cancer research when you know maybe someone in their life has been impacted by covid Um, we have the racial injustice going on which is another area of focus and so i think one of the things for us that was really important early on was to acknowledge hey we don't we being the cancer research enterprise and we don't need to be the most important voice in the room right now. Yeah. Um, we are a voice. We know people care about us. We know people want to fundraise for this still, it's still very close to people's hearts, but it doesn't need to be the most important thing right now. And how can we, you know, through research, through our voice in our community, how can we support those other organizations and other movements with, you know, the power of our community that we have. And, and so that's been our conversation internally. Yeah, and I started by just noting, I mean, you've been very successful at the brand side of things. People know Pelotonia. It's a respected um, and visible you know, part of our community. So at these moments, I mean, lots of things got retooled, right? I mean, uh, distilleries were making hand sanitizers instead yeah, of... Yeah, I thought uh, that was really creative. Instead of bourbon. Um, you know, so uh, like the, the ability to repurpose or to utilize that platform to shift is, is really good. And I think Pelotonia's done it good job doing that yeah yeah i think so i think one of the one of the things i feel really strongly about is you know people want to be a part of an organization that has a personality and i think to have a personality you need to have values Mm -hmm. and when those values are at odds with the world you should speak out uh, which we've done and i feel really proud of the ways in which we've done that i feel proud of the ways you know, our research dollars have impact, continue to impact cancer research, but even more so have impacted COVID and COVID testing. And Ohio State has been at the forefront of that um, over the last several months. And so we're, we're really proud to be partners with Ohio State and proud of the work we continue to do. So what do you think this year is going to look like then? I mean, if you, in a way, you've created this really flexible application that can, you know, allow people to personalize and find their own point of entry. But what, what are some of the things you're looking forward to, you know, I mean, in a way, I mean, you'd love to just have the ride and to keep building what you've done for all these years. But are there any p- parts of this that, you know, listeners might want to know about that are just kind of like, 
novel or exciting to you in particular? Yeah, there's a couple things. Uh, one, as I mentioned, we had been working with a technology partner um, since you know fall of 2019 to rebuild a, what has really been an old and antiquated uh, IT system, uh, which we believe has impacted fundraising in a negative way. Uh, it's not a great mobile tool at the moment. Um, and, and so it's made it hard for people to, to raise money um, when you can't do that digitally, mobily. So, you know, what we did with My Palatania was we really accelerated work that we thought we would do in 2021 and brought that forward. And the way I've described it to people is, you know, for better or for worse, we're sharing with the public draft number one yeah. of this website uh, when originally we were going to launch draft number 100. The good side of that is we've gotten a lot of feedback, good and bad, but all of that feedback is going to inform what the future of that looks like. And in a lot of ways, that technology can help drive the future of the organization and the way we fundraise, the way we engage with people. And I think that's really exciting. I think 2021 is going to be a really big year, partially because of of the technology improvements we're going through right now. We're doing two other things, which I think are... Uh, really important and I think really important for any organization to do during a time of crisis you know we are not having our physical ride and the physical ride takes a ton of resources and a ton of effort to pull off every year and so in a way we got some of those resources and time back and we've redeployed some of that into into developing my Palatania but we've also sort of really started planning for the future so we're already planning 2021's ride. Mm-hmm. We are going to completely redo the routes. We're going to redo our opening ceremony. We are going to redo all of the processes in which we interact with people in person so that we can be COVID safe, but also deliver what we think, and I firmly believe will be the best Palatania experience ever. Um, and then we're also undergoing a strategic plan. Uh, so we're putting together a five-year strategic plan uh, led by our board. And really defining what we and the community wants Pelotonia to be for the long term. And, you know, this point of disruption in the world is our chance. You know, we're going to try to make the most of it and really steer the ship in the direction that we think makes the most sense. And, you know, as a result, I think 2021 and 2022 and beyond uh, are going to be incredible years for the community. I think taking a year off from the ride for a lot of people, they're going to come back in 2021 and be excited and refreshed and have new routes and new things to talk about and new ways to fundraise. Um, So I think it's going to be a really fun experience. I'm simultaneously excited and a little frightened of what it's going to look like when the floodgates open and people get so excited. I mean, in some ways, some knuckleheads have been out there in the world doing this a little yeah, bit. And, they sure have. You know, I mean, that's that's one part of it. But when we actually get to the point where, you know, we are in a sustainable public health moment and we can do that, um, you know, I just there's all these you know, people just pent up with all these ideas and things that they want to do. And uh, I think that's going to be important. But also, you know, you mentioned it and you kind of touched on it before. I mean, um, and I wanted to ask you about this. So we we don't just have the COVID moment, but we also have Black Lives Matter. We also have this incredible social justice moment. On this show, we've talked about racial disparity, racial and ethnic disparity within cancer itself. We had an episode on that um, earlier last year. So I wonder how Pelotonia, at this moment of sort of watching that shifting terrain, is also thinking about 
addressing disparity, addressing, you know, it occurs to me, you, know, you and I talked, we both had testicular cancer, right? Um, that happens to be one form of cancer that has very high profile figures like Lance Armstrong, who drove a lot of attention to it. But yeah. there's some cancers that just nobody even knows about, thinks about, uh, yeah. they have stigma around them. How are you navigating that sort of shifting social terrain around cancer at the same time as you're retooling, you know, what you're doing this year with the race? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think uh, I think there's probably a couple parts to that question. Um, one is you mentioned racial disparities in, in not just cancer, but in medicine right. generally and access to care and um, treatments and survival rates. That is uh, and has been an issue for a long time. And I think you know, where we can fit into that is really um, using our voice, but also we raise a lot of money for cancer research and it would be a really, you know, a missed opportunity if we don't use that to make a difference in that world. And so, you know, putting more of an effort on uh, or, or more of a spotlight on, you know, research for, uh, you know, medicine for different races or even getting, um, you know, how do you get to lower income, uh, more rural areas with the medicine and that it's not just sort of the city thing. And um, I think we have a responsibility in a lot of ways to make sure we do that with our money. Um, and then I think the, you know, the conversation around cancer, you mentioned testicular cancer. You know, I, I think when we talked on the phone, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I shared, you know, one of the things that you know, I had to get really comfortable with in yeah. this role in particular was the fact that I might say testicle in front of a thousand people. Um, and it's awkward at first and, <laughs> yeah. and there's a stigma around it and testicular cancer. Um, I think has, I don't know if it's a stigma or if it's just a taboo topic, you know, in, in some, in some circles or some areas, I think a lot of that's gone away. You mentioned Lance Armstrong, um, for all the things he didn't do right, he yeah. did some things really, really well. And bringing cancer into a dinner table conversation in a way that was thoughtful and made sense, um, to me, had a lasting impact on, on my life. Um, I grew up in a house where my younger sister had cancer when she was five. I was seven. Um, so cancer was always a topic. You know, she yeah. was going to an appointment. She was going to get chemo. It was a thing. In some households, I mean, you don't talk about cancer. You know, someone's aunt or father or grandparent has died, but you don't talk about cancer. And I think one of the things Pelotonia's done, and I feel really proud of, is people are very proud to wear their arrow shirt or put their yard sign uh, in their yard or put a magnet on their car. And a lot of times it starts conversation. And it's, you know, why, like, why do you care about cancer research? And, and you could ask that to anyone yeah. um, and you'll get a different answer. And I think just allowing it to be part of conversation socially is such an important step to making meaningful progress in anything. Yeah. And I think that's what we're seeing with, with some of these other movements is, look, you know, sometimes you have to yell and scream and, and peacefully protest to be heard, but people need to be heard. And that's the first step. I think in any sort of action being taken, taken. So I think that's, that's what we need for progress in so many different things in our society. So just getting people to talk, you know, about it openly. Um, I mean, not just cancer or illness, uh, although that's a huge one. I mean, 
going back to AIDS and to stigma around AIDS or even before that tuberculosis, like the ways in which just disease takes on meaning requires people just being willing to talk about it. And we obviously are threading this needle of privacy and discrimination and then also people trying to be courageous and say, look, we want to talk about this. That's true of rape and sexual assault. It's true of all sorts of different kinds of problems in our society. But the power of somebody stepping up and saying this happened to me, but also, as you kind of mentioned, talking about your body, you know, talking about like testicles or ovaries or we're not a society that's been talking about those things openly, but you need to be able to do that. It was one of the the hardest things I have to say on a lighter side. When I first started teaching at a medical school, I mean, I came out of an arts and sciences background where all of those taboos around talking were in place, but then you, you work with medical students and, and your colleagues and everybody's just talking about bodies all yeah, the people time. People don't even blink when right. you say things. I, you know, I've had a chance to, you know, I had testicular cancer when I was 21, I was diagnosed and I was at such a different stage of my life then than I am now. And I didn't know a lot of people that had testicular cancer. I didn't want to talk about it that much. I thought it was kind of awkward and how do you just sort of move past it? And at some point you just want it to be a memory, right? You want to be past it. I think what I realized probably six or seven years ago, uh, even before I started working at Pelotonia was uh, one of my old colleagues uh, had one of his friend's sons was diagnosed with testicular cancer. And, And my old colleague, Ken knew about my background and my story. I had shared it with some people and he, he came to me and said, Hey, uh, this young guy was diagnosed with testicular cancer. He, he doesn't know anyone. He has no idea what to do. He's really scared. I said, I'll take him out to lunch. So that was the first time I ever went and sat down with someone with the intent of discussing my cancer journey. And we sat at a cafe, what was supposed to be 30 minutes. We sat for four hours and chatted and talked and shared stories. And I've probably done that at least once a month since. Um, and, I think, you know, you hit on it. It's just, how do you bring something like that into a conversation that makes people feel comfortable, but also makes people know that they're not alone? If you went to a big, if you went to Ohio Stadium on football Saturday, which who knows if we'll have football this year, but, you know, in a normal world, you go to a football game, there's 110,000 people in that stadium. There's a really good chance 10,000 of them have had cancer. I mean, just statistics, right? You'd never know that. And so, like, how do you, in just society and generally, do we surface these things that are going on? Like you said, rape, sexual assault, racial injustice, all these things. I think it's so powerful to have conversations. And if it makes people uncomfortable, that's okay. Because I think the end result is progress and it's action that people are taking. And I think all of that's better for the world. You know, as we think about people being together, um, you know, obviously Pelotonia has been, you know, one of these uh, events that is about being together. And we have this challenge now with using things like applications or virtual spaces. How do we be together alone? How do you social distance and feel close? Um, you know, and, and I, I, I think that that's going to be one of the challenges moving forward for Pelotonia. I think so. I think... You know, I think we're still in a little bit of a holding pattern to, you know, wait and see how the world reacts. One thing I have faith in is that, you know, human beings are adaptive and 
as much as we hate change, we figure it out. But there is this underlying desire of, you know, people like being together. People love being a part of a community. People need face-to-face interaction with people. And so, you know, I think for right now we're managing the best we can. I think, you know, the future probably looks like a hybrid of some sort of, you know, more virtual and, and digitally engaging tools that we're using. And then how do you make in-person events feel really special but more so make them very safe yeah. and comforting for people. And I think that is something you'll see in the, you know, event industry generally is, is, you know, if, if you or I go do a, you know, you know, a race or a ride, or you go to a concert and you're paying money for that. And there's some value you're getting out of that entertainment value, maybe swag, t-shirts, whatever. I think the paradigm will shift because it has to shift to the value you're getting is safety mm. in a lot of these things. And the people will really start to value the care around making them feel safe. And I think that's where we're spending a lot of our time and effort researching and planning right now is why can't we be the safest feeling event in the country next year? We have one of the world's best you know, medical institutions right down the road who's a partner with, with us. We have an amazing community that wants to be together in a safe way, and we have the time to plan and the resources to to do it right, in my opinion. And so, you know, I think that's where a lot of our focus is. How do we become one of the safest events in the country in 2021? I love the framing of that, and it's something that I kind of have to admit I, I do, and maybe we all do. I have my own little personal list of you know, watching restaurants, watching institutions and how they've reacted or not reacted. I won't name names, but I will remember that certain institutions took my safety and others' safety really seriously early and others who did not. Now, I know a lot of there was a lot of pressure economically to get back, and there, it's, it's a complicated story, and we've talked about that on this show. But I think that it is something to hold on to, and, and maybe that's an interesting part of, like, institutional branding after COVID that we will note those organizations that put the safety of people uh, um, before other things. Yeah. I think, you you know, over the last couple of years, you've started to see and feel that, you know, simple examples in retail, you know, places like Patagonia who, you know, take their profits and, you know, for conservation and wildlife and the environment and brands, I think no, and the good brands know that the consumer consumers are smart, and consumers want more mm-hmm. out of the brands they interact with, and you know it's it's no different. And I think people should have and deserve to have really high expectations of the organizations and institutions that they support. And like you said, you can just you know scroll through Twitter, scroll through Facebook. And you can put people into two lists. Yeah. There's, there's companies and organizations that are doing a really good job, and there's companies and organizations that aren't. And I think the ones that aren't are going to get left behind. Last question or last um, theme. I just want to give you an opportunity, you know, uh, as you look forward to the uh, redefined experience of Pelotonia in 2020. Uh, what do you want people to know? We are going to be doing, you know, we'll be providing links and show notes and social media so people can go and, you know, sign up or, or read more. But um, anything in particular that you want listeners to take away, ways they can contribute, things that they should read, <laughs> or things that they can do? 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think it's pretty simple. You know, for the last 11 years, you know, 2019 and prior, we've had a ride um, that had a registration fee, a fundraising minimum. You needed a bike to ride in the ride. Uh, it was not very inclusive in a lot of different ways. Um, high barrier to entry. It's expensive. Cycling, you know, in a lot of ways is considered to be this expensive sport. One of the things we, you know, sort of entered with COVID and that was really important to us was whatever we do, it's got to be more inclusive and it has to not have such high barriers to entry. And so what we created this year with My Pelotonia first is going to live on. It's going to continue into 2021 and beyond. It's going to be a part of our organization. And it's really a platform for people to hold themselves accountable to a personal challenge and leverage that to fundraise for something they care about. And so, you know, we will end up with a community that both wants to challenge themselves to something and cares deeply about cancer research, which is perfect. I think what I would love for people to take away is there's no barriers to entry this year. I mean, if you have an email and you have a first and last name, you can join. And I would say sign up, challenge yourself to something, and just engage with us and be a part of the content we share and the stories we share and the people in our community. Because I think once people see and feel that, they'll be hooked. People haven't stayed with us for 12 years because we put on a nice bike ride. Right. Well, a lot of people that put on really nice bike rides, they don't, they're not with us because we put on a nice bike ride. They're with us because of something bigger and something more important and personal to them. And so my ask for people would be to just check that out and, and see if that's something that fits for you. It doesn't fit for everyone, and that's okay. But I think there, there's a lot of people, both in central Ohio and, and far beyond, that would find that the Pelotonia community is a place that really welcomes them and is a place that they can be inspired to take some action. They can learn something. They can meet someone new that changes their life. And I think for that, you know, I... I hope we, we add incrementally a little positivity and hope into people's lives. Awesome. Well, Joe, the uh, the concrete cutters outside have held off just long <laughs> enough, I think, for so, but that's it, the authenticity of podcasting. So that's, that's, that's right. That's right. But thanks so much for sharing, you know, the personal, um, getting, getting uh, a little bit more context for this year's event. And um, we're going to be doing what we can to get the word out as well. So yeah, well, thank you. I, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, this was fun. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for all you do. My thanks to Joe Apgar for joining us on the show. You can, of course, find information about Pelotonia online, and we've included direct links in our show notes and on our social media. You can find show notes for this episode on WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org. It's under the Podcast Experience tab. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark France. Please take a minute to subscribe to Prognosis Ohio, follow us on Twitter at, at @prognosisohio, and friend us on Facebook. As always, we encourage you to email us your suggestions and your feedback at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening and be well.